attorney Kevin Johnson. I'm attorney Barry Boykin. And I'm attorney Kathy Boychuk. And welcome to part two, episode 31, Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters. We've come together with our special guest, Kathy Boychuk, an attorney from Des Plaines. I don't know why she doesn't want to say she's from Chicago. It's right over there. Anyway, um, <laughs> nearby suburb of Des Plaines, Illinois, for a discussion of parenting coordinators. And in the first part, I was starting to be persuaded that it might be a good idea. And we'll now hear more about a parenting coordinator and what they mean if they're appointed into a custody or divorce case. Can either of you give an example? Again, for me, not having parenting coordinators in my case, but for, for our listeners, let's say it seems to be an interminable conflict. They cannot agree on things. Weekends are you know, the pickups and drop-off times, or there's decisions about school, or should there be remedial reading? It's just one thing after another, and everything seems to be a conflict. So finally, out of exasperation or whatever, the, the judge appoints someone called a parenting coordinator. Okay, so the case is done. Court rule, court has finished. There's no more court dates for now. And then about six months goes by and there's an issue. And how does it play out? Like, what would it look like from the standpoint of a parent in a case like this? Well, I mean, they would email the, the, the parenting coordinator. They would talk about like what the problem is. The parenting coordinator would, would probably schedule a telephone conference with that, with that parent, uh, read over the judgment and see, and then probably contact the other parent. Parenting coordinators usually don't talk to the children. They deal more with the parents. And it's kind of, it, it, it depends on the, the specific coordinator, whether they want to talk in the same room or talk with each parent separately. And then based on, you know, those conversations, the, the parenting coordinator would, would, would most likely tell the parents or email the parents that we're going to do it this way, or we're going to do it this way. And if, you have a clause in that order saying that the parenting coordinator has decision powers to, you know, to, to break the tie or whatnot, then you'll be done. But if you don't, you do have an option to go back to court. But as Barry said, you know, this parenting coordinator is a professional, is a, a person who's supposed to be objective and most likely known to the judge as being a trustworthy person. So if that parent constantly goes back to the judge complaining about the parenting coordinator or pushing issues that are frivolous, I mean, that's not going to be good on that parent. Before we go further, this podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one-on-one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now, now on, with, on the with the show. Now, I'd like to add something else, which is that, of course, when I was in law school, one of the instructors said, a lawyer is not a bus. <laughs> Which is which means that a bus driver, of course, has to stop for everyone who's at the bus stop and pick them up. Hopefully they do that. But a lawyer doesn't have to do that. So the parenting coordinator coordinator does not have to take the case. They can they can say, Judge, I, I know about this case. I don't want it. To, <laughs> or, or, or Judge, I want to resign. These people that they're too much even for me, you know. So so there's that aspect of it. You can you can there's be such conflict, they can chase the parenting coordinator away. 
But my experience is much like Kathy's that the um, it's mostly with the parents. And another one feature I wanted to bring out that I would tell clients is that a party considering it is that it's not confidential. So in our mediation sessions that they may have had earlier in the case, uh, those sessions are confidential only if there's a result. There's a result that the parties have agreed. Here's the agreement. But in parenting coordination, the communications are not confidential, except if the parties agree and if it's still within the parameter of the best interest of the children. So that's another distinction that uh, all the all the uh, flack that the parties give each other, then the parenting coordinator can share with the judge and say, oh, judge, you know, uh, you know, this parent said this and that parent said that and this parent does this. And, you know, they'll tell they'll tell all if it has to be, if the dispute has to go back in front of the judge. And and to add to that, it's fast. It's really fast. You pick up oh. the phone and you call the parenting coordinator. If you want to litigate it, we're looking at months and months before you get a decision. <laughs> so I, I think it does streamline things. I think it's more affordable at, at the for the long run. Um, and... I think it's a it's a creative method because as we all know in family law there is no black and white there there's very gray areas and and to be really effective with creating peace for families um you can't just read a book and and tell people you have to do it this way you know you have to find ways to um to accommodate like different families different people so I think it's just a great option for some okay, well, families. One thing you've done, and Barry and Kathy, is uh, I'm starting to believe. I, I, I'm feeling <laughs> because because I'm of the opinion that this industry needs to write clear judgments, clear parenting agreements, and everything like that. Yes, that's all when I, well and good, and I can be very persnickety and nerdy and write my very careful 12 p.m. exchange at whatever. Yes, but like one thing you said, Kathy, and it really hits home, you're going to end up living with whatever a judge said or with whatever some previous attorney wrote. And it might be the attorney from the other side. I mean, if, if our people don't have lawyers, they're often looking at court orders and judgments that are written by the opposing lawyer. And it's not the greatest language sometimes. And yet they have to interpret it, right? So I think that's a, that's a good point. I could see where that would help solve problems. Would it be your advice then, Kathy, that in every case, that our listeners try to push for the parenting coordinator to have the decision-making authority to solve the problems? Would they be able to say, this is what we're going to do? And if somebody doesn't like it, they could always litigate. They could always file a motion to overcome what the parenting coordinator said. But it is your, is your opinion that people should mostly say, and Judge, if we're going to get a parenting coordinator, can we please give them the authority to make decisions? Absolutely, because that's counterintuitive. If, if you don't want this person to have some sort of power, some sort of decision making, it's not going to be as helpful. So I think that is one important point to to bring up to the judge or to add to the to to the agreement. Now, I have to say though that that has been contrary to my experience that either one or sometimes both parties have not wanted the parenting coordinator 
it's been kind of imposed upon them by the judge where the judge says, hey, you know, I want this. It's going to happen. And that's it. And so and you don't want to antagonize the judge on your case. So you, you go along with it. But uh, but yeah, so I, I've had the cases, the experiences I've had, the parents have been kind of dragged into it. And uh, but happily, you know, there have been some good experiences and good. And part of it, part of it is just a matter of of, of having someone to listen to listen to your to your grievance that's not going to uh, take an antagonistic position. So someone other than your attorney, who you hopefully a positive relationship with, and someone other than the, you know, the other side or the judge, you have a third party, and ideally uh, someone who is objective and neutral and says, I'm going to hear what you have to say, and then I'm going to call the other parent. And I'll, I'll let the other parent know what you're saying and get what they're saying. And so it, it it gets a bit closer to a situation where there's true compromise because both sides have been listened to and have been heard. Even if they don't get that July 4th weekend, then nevertheless, they've had the situation discussed. So one other thing that has occurred to me during our discussion that's now also making me think maybe a parenting coordinator could help is what I consider to be the problem of the new girlfriend or the new boyfriend. And this is where I think you can have a parenting agreement and I can write, you know, very precise days, times, and everybody knows what their holidays are. And it runs along for a year, year and a half, maybe two years, pretty smoothly. And then Bruce starts dating Beverly. And Beverly says, starts reading the judgment, which she's really upset because the ex-wife is still in their lives and why do I have to deal with her? And she starts reading, you know, it doesn't, it, you know, you have to give 30 days notice for your vacation, but you know, whatever. And she only gave you 29 days or something like that. And they think they find a loophole and they start picking at it, like picking at a scab. And they say to the Bruce, who's the ex-husband, it was really in the case, say, why don't you stand up to her? You have rights. Look at this document. And so it gives Bruce an answer. You say, okay, well, I'll call the parenting coordinator and bring it up. And then the parenting coordinator says, well, one day difference, uh, but, you know, and it's no big, anyway, they deal with it. And then Bruce goes back to Beverly and says, I did what you asked. I stood up to her parenting coordinator. Maybe it's wrong, but sided with the other side. So it's done. I've done it, you know, and it gives it a, a kind of a way to solve things for a new person in their lives who may be trying to stir up trouble. So I see that might be a good idea. Yeah. And also like, you don't want to be running to court if you have one little question that's, that's a little ambiguous about, you know, okay, I'm, th I, I, I gave, you know, 31 notice or, or whatever, 31 day notice. Um, does that forfeit my, my vacation with my child, you know, things like that, that it's just, it's silly. And it's, it just needs clarification. And I think a parenting coordinator is, has read hundreds, if not thousands of parenting uh, judgments. And um, based on their experience, they can give them, you know, uh, a fair assessment about, you know, whether to pursue it or not, or whether this really is an issue or, or not. And Kathy, I want to something else that you said about saving the party's money. And and the context I'm thinking about is that when I've had a client bring me an issue and there's a parenting coordinator in the case, 
and they're saying the other party is not doing such and such. They didn't give me, Kevin's example, they didn't give me adequate notice of the vacation. And, and so I'll say, well, have, have you talked to the parenting coordinator about this? I assume you talked to the parenting coordinator because we can't go back to the judge until you've done that. <laughs> and then they, they kind of they kind of hang their head and say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go back to the parent coordinator. You know, so it, it gets us off the hook a little bit because we say, hey, I'm not going back to court for you until you've taken that step. Now that we have a parenting coordinator on the case, yeah, so that, also, that's been yeah, yeah, and also like when a client comes to me and you know has an issue. I can't really contact his his ex, you know, I can't really have um, because I'm, you know, my client is my client. I'm not going to be talking to the other parent that's either represented or not represented. A parenting coordinator can do that. They can talk to both parties very easily. So that's another advantage. It just kind and of a very ha- good point, because the opposing counsel in the original case may say, hey, I'm done with that case. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not coming back. <laughs> well, one thing I thought of, and I'm surprised that you experienced practitioners have not addressed this issue, is who pays the parenting coordinator and how much? I mean, our listeners may be the, the battle-worn victims of having all their money gone in litigation. I mean, we are talking about people who have litigated for years. Their bank accounts might be completely drained. You know, their their lives, all their lifestyle is revolved around this fight. And they poured out their money and, and their lawyers are long gone, some of them. And so now, what, they have to pay more money to somebody? I mean, how much money are we talking about? And who pays? Well, um, it, that needs to be in the order. I mean, the, usually it's split 50-50 unless, you know, there's a huge disparity between the parties. But that usually is put in the order when the parenting coordinator is appointed or um, hired. You also could put a clause in there that, you know, if one parent is relentless and, you know, bringing up issues that are not issues, the parenting coordinator might say, might, you know, request that 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 parent pay the full amount when she brings these frivolous things how much is it? I mean, it, it kind of ranges, I would say 100 to 300 an hour, but it does it does get split between the parties. And you are you also aren't um, hiring an attorney to draft a petition to litigate the petition to do discovery to do depositions. So in the long run, I think it does save a lot of money and a lot of time. So maybe the Hourly rate might be comparable to a lawyer's hourly rate? Possibly, yeah. Okay, okay. It doesn't have to be a lawyer, so it could be another professional who uh, then uh, is experienced in those areas, in, in, in some places even a mediator, and their hourly may be, may be less. Or um, Well, I noticed uh, they have to pass the 40-hour mediator training to be appointed by the court in Cook County, Illinois, at least, according to what I'm reading, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't have to be a lawyer, but they have to have gone to 40 hours of mediation training. So, uh, or, or I guess we're talking about agreement. The parties could agree on Uncle Fred. I mean, it doesn't have to be somebody, as long as they both agree, it could just be somebody they, they rope into doing this, right? 
But I've never had an Uncle Fred mediator or a <laughs> okay. coordinator. <laughs> it okay. just hasn't happened. I don't think the judge would appoint what, uh, Uncle Fred normally. Oh, okay. even by agreement. Well, see, why am I talking about agreement of the parties? What a joke. These are people who have, have uh, nothing but battle, right? Every right. Everything's a fight. So these can't be that common, right? People who litigate until they use up everything in their lives financially and they're still fighting. I mean, the statistics I've seen, I, I don't know how accurate it is, maybe 10 to 15% of cases. I don't know, uh, Kathy, if you've ever looked at that, but there, 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 there's some attempt to quantify the number of cases that, that need it or that are high conflict. And so. Yeah, I, I think that sounds right. You know, I think my hope is that, you know, it becomes more trendy because I, I, I really seen a lot of positive, um, positive things coming up from that. I mean, in the last case that I had a parenting coordinator, I mean, I used to get emails and phone calls from my client on a regular basis. And ever since the appointment, I have not heard anything from my client. And I did call my client just to make sure, you know, <laughs> is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, actually, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> well, that's great. Oh, well, Success stories are heartwarming and unfortunately too rare in these cases. So that's good. We have just a few minutes left, uh, Kathy, uh, and we're very happy you could be here. So summarizing what I've heard from you and Barry is that parenting coordinators appointed by the court normally don't have the authority to make decisions that are binding on the parties. They suggest, suggest strongly, but you can ask the judge and if you can get this done, you could add language that says the parenting coordinator's decisions shall be binding on the parties. And I'm hearing there's advantage to that. Then I'm also hearing that this person needs to be paid at some hourly rate, uh, and that often it's done 50-50. But uh, if somebody is relentless and seemingly can't ever get peace in their lives and always wants to fight, that it might go against them in the payment of more than half or more of a share of the fees. I'm also hearing that whatever said to a parenting coordinator is not confidential. So whatever you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. No, it, but the parenting coordinator can relate. If the parties have, have a, a big, long conflict, the, they can say to the judge, here's what Sally says, and here's what Bruce says. And I think Bruce has a point, and Sally seems to be unreasonable. And they could say that. Is that right? They can get right into it and say, here's what they're both saying, and here's what I think. Would you agree that they can do that if they get back to court? I agree. Okay. So this is somebody that you don't want to make angry. <laughs> we, we talked about in a previous episode about mental health professional. Don't attack the mental health professional. Probably good advice. Don't attack the parenting coordinator. If you think, gosh, they're biased. They're so biased. Maybe hold your tongue and try to work with them, right? Kathy, do you have any final comments on this whole idea of a parenting coordinator, a good, bad, and think they should remember? I think in family law, it's very important to keep an open mind. I think that what helps one family will probably not help another family. So parenting coordinators are a good option for certain families, um, certain parties. I think it's also important to get somebody good. So if a judge wants to appoint a certain parenting coordinator, I think that you should put trust in that but you should try to 
put some caveats to make the parenting coordinator's role a strong role. And also bring it up to your attorney. Bring it up to your attorney. Hey, I heard this person called parenting coordinator. Do you think um, that person could help, you know, when, when we finish this case or when we resolve this, you know, when we enter this judgment? Maybe just putting an option in there in the judgment that if need be, this and this parenting coordinator will be appointed. So that is my two cents. <laughs> yeah, my final word would be that in many, many final allocation judgments, we call them, or custody agreements or parenting agreement, then there is some mechanism for dispute resolution. So parenting coordination coordination is a means of handling disputes that occur after all the dust is settled and the case is over, looking forward in the future. And I agree with Kathy that it is a means of minimizing possibly disputes that may arise uh, when when the parties have had a long history of conflict. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our time for this part two of episode 31. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. I'm attorney Barry Boykin. And I'm attorney Kathy Boyshock. And we'll see you in our next episode. Thank you.